want to give a praise report real quick. Last Sunday night, I had messed up my shoulder and uh, moving and trying to get into a new house, moving all kind of heavy stuff, and I had messed my shoulder up. I told Lydia, I said, I don't know what I've done, but it's really hurting me pretty bad. Well, uh, a few days later, Sunday night, we was all coming down to the altar, and I came up to Brother Tim Wallace, and I said, Brother, would you mind just laying your hands on my shoulders and praying for me that God would heal my shoulder? I'm in a lot of pain. He laid his hands on me. He started to cry. He prayed the prayer of faith. I never even thought about it again until Wednesday night, and I realized I never felt another ounce of pain after that moment. <laughs> Amen. God's still a healer today. We serve a good God. He knows our needs and He knows everything about us. I want to preach to you today something that's been heavy on my heart for a while. And the past couple of weeks, I've just had confirmation after confirmation. And so, I want to preach to you about the prodigal's biggest problem. The prodigal's biggest problem. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 25? Still hadn't found my glasses, so I still can't see your face. It's all right. As long as I can see my notes, we'll be good. Luke 15 and verse 25. Most of us know the story of the prodigal son. There was a man, he had two sons, and his youngest came to him and said, Father, I want you to give me my inheritance early. And so the father gives him his inheritance and he goes out and wastes it all on riotous living. He pretty much threw his life away. He walked out of the father's house. And after living that way for a long time, the Bible says he came to himself. He said, I've got to go back home where I belong. I've got to go back to the father's house. So he repented and he went back and he found his father looking out across the yard. And his father took off running, grabbed him, kissed him, put a ring on his finger, put clothes on him, put shoes on his feet, and he went and killed the fatted calf. The Bible says they had a party. And so this is where we're going to pick up verse number 25. The Bible says this, Now his elder son, the big brother, he was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called unto one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. And listen to this. The big brother was angry. He was mad that his brother came home. And he would not go in. He wouldn't go to the party. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid. You never gave me a goat that we could kill and have a party. That I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf, and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and now he's found. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes. It won't take me long, I don't think, about the prodigal's biggest problem. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands before we sit down and just say, God, I want you to be able to speak to me today. Lord, cleanse my heart. Clear everything out of my mind today, Lord. Clear the table, O God, of my mind and cleanse me to where I can hear what you would have to say to me. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for all that You've done. You're in this house today to deliver. You're in this house today to instruct Your people on what we should do and how to move forward. God, and how to have the revival that You have promised us. God, it's only going to come by one way, Lord. I pray that You would help us, strengthen us, O God, and cause us to fall in love with You. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Jesus' name. You may be seated. The prodigal's biggest problem. No doubt he had a lot of problems. But he had one problem that was a lot bigger than the rest. From the very beginning of creation, the Lord established His plan for mankind. He gave us a perfect example of what He intended for a family unit to be. In Genesis 1.27, He said, the Bible says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have children. Make a family. Replenish the earth and subdue it. God set in motion His desire for there to be fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers. And we've never before seen a time when the spirit of the world has come against this basic fundamental truth as it is today. Society is doing everything it can to force its teachings and agendas down our throats. If you want to be a man, that's your choice. If you want to be a woman, that's your choice. If you want to be anything other than what you were born to be, you can do that. You have that ability now. Children are being urged from a young age to decide for themselves what gender they'd like to be instead of facing the truth of who they really are. The media and music and popular TV shows and movies all portray God's instituted plan, His model of what a family should be as something to be rebelled against, something to be rejected, something to be reimagined. The family that God had in mind is no longer in this world that we live in. The committed relationship of a husband and wife is a thing of the past. Now anything goes, and there's really no use to even get married. In today's world, children are seen as nothing more than an inconvenience. If you don't want them, you can just have the pregnancy terminated. Many times they're portrayed as an unwanted mistake and a burden. The other night, Thursday night, me and Lydia went out to eat, and I overheard a lady talking behind us at the next table. This waitress had came up, and she was talking to this girl sitting there. She said, oh, you, she said, you're going to have a baby. She said, I bet you're so excited. She said, no, I'm not excited. She said, it's so cold and so heartless. She said, well, why not? She said, that's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. She said, well, I wanted a boy, and I found out I was having a girl, so I'm not even excited about it anymore. How can somebody say something like that about a child they're bringing into this world? They're deprived of that relationship between the father and the mother. 
They're forgotten in parked vehicles and left to suffocate. They're raised by the screen on a tablet and they're told to stay out of the way. They're taught through their parents' actions that they don't have any value and that nobody cares if they live or die. And we wonder why in 2020 there were 45,979 people in the United States that died of suicide. Four times the population of Lawrence County committed suicide in 2020. And every single day, 30 of those people that committed suicide were children. That's startling. The world, the spirit of this age, is doing everything it can to tear apart the family. If it can bring bitterness, if it can bring division, if it can separate us, it can stop us from accomplishing what God has purposed in our lives. So many people are giving it all up because they've been told their whole lives to keep their mouth shut about the way they feel. They've grown up in homes without godly influence, homes without biblical teaching, homes without unconditional love. Brother is turned against brother and sister against sister because of jealousy, envy, and greed. There's no submission to the husband's authority, and the husband doesn't love the wife enough to stay faithful. Many times mom or dad walks out the door never to be seen again, totally abandoning the responsibility of the life they created. I believe it's 18 million children in the U.S. are raised in a single parent home. We wonder why there's so many problems. It's safe to say that the family unit is being torn apart from every angle. God's plan has been perverted and lives are being scarred every day by the pain and trauma that's experienced among loved ones. Lives are being ripped apart every day because of what goes on inside their house. Because of what goes on inside their own family. And while we might be seeing these things getting worse and worse by the day, honestly, it's not something all too new. Because from the very first family that God created, there's always been problems. There's always been issues among the family. Micah 7 and 8, Micah prophesied, he said, For the son dishonors the father. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies are the men of his own house. What a sad day. When you search through the Bible, you don't have to look long and hard to find families with issues. And most commonly, you'll find that there's problems among brothers. Talking to you today about the prodigal's biggest problem. All throughout the Bible, we find stories of brothers that battled against each other. First, you have Cain and Abel, the first two sons to ever be born. Cain brought God an offering from the field and Abel brought God an offering from the flock and God had respect for Abel's offering but he didn't have respect for Cain's offering and so Cain rose up and he killed his brother there's problems among brothers there was Abraham and Lot they weren't actually brothers but Abraham called them brothers when their herdsmen got together and they were fighting over land Abraham came to Lot. He said, hey, we can't do this. We can't have this division. We can't have this strife among us. What did he say? He said, because we are brethren. 
So he said, you go take whatever land you want to take. There's Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the natural son of Abraham. Ishmael was the illegitimate son of Abraham. And to this day, that battle is still being fought between Isaac and Ishmael. There's Jacob and Esau. Jacob robbed his brother Esau of his birthright and his blessing, his inheritance. And Esau wanted to kill Jacob. There's Joseph and his ten brothers. They were jealous because the father had given him a coat of many colors. They were jealous because the father seemed to like him a little bit more. So they threw him in a pit. And he was sold into slavery. He was sent to prison. And he spent his young adult years trying to figure out who he was and why nobody loved him because of his brothers. Jealousy and envy is something that we can't have in God's house. Bitterness and bickering and division is something we can't put up with. There's going to be problems in God's house, but God forbid it be problems among brothers. We're going to face issues each and every day, but how much worse off are we making things for ourselves when the issues we have are with our brother and sister? Amen. We've got to learn to have love. One thing that simply cannot exist in the church is problems among brothers. It hinders everything we attempt to accomplish. If the brothers and sisters who occupy the house of the Lord can't get along, can't forgive each other, can't go 20 minutes into a conversation without tearing somebody down, and can't love each other, then everything else that we do is in vain. All of our worship is wasted. All of our praise is powerless. All of our potential is polluted. Our victory is lost. Our holiness amounts to nothing. Our sacrifice is only a cover-up. It's something to hide behind. What good is my long sleeves if I don't have love? What good is speaking in tongues if I don't have love? What good is running the aisles and pretending I'm fine, but deep down on the inside I have hatred towards my brother? We've got to learn how to show each other compassion. What good are my good deeds if I don't have love behind it? It's all just to show. Without love, our good deeds are useless, our efforts are feeble, and our faith is only a facade. Without love, our relationship with God is fake. Nothing in the kingdom of God matters if we don't have love. I'm about to commit the cardinal sin right here. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13 from the New Living Translation. I'm sorry. It's not the KJV. Paul wrote, and he said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, My speaking in tongues don't matter if I don't have love. Verse 2, he said, If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, I had such faith that I could move mountains, but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. He said, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. How about that one? Love keeps no record 
of the times you were hurt, the times you were wrong. If you really have love in your heart, you'll be able to look at your brother or sister without remembering that thing they did to you. And hear this, just being nice to somebody is not love. You can be nice to somebody that you hate. You can smile and shake somebody's hand and say, hey, how you doing, bro? When really deep down, you've got all against them in your heart. Verse 6, love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love doesn't get glad when you see a brother or sister fall. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. I just want to tell you today, when brothers fight, nobody wins. My little brother's five years younger than me. We grew up in the same house together. There was times where we'd wrestle and play and mess around, you know, and I came to notice when brothers fight, nobody wins. If I lose to him, I just lost to my little brother that's five years younger than me. How does that look? But if I beat him, I just beat up a little brother that's five years younger than me. So nobody wins. If my brother is injured, I lose because that's my brother. If my sister falls into sin, into temptation, I feel that pain because that's my sister. We've got to learn how to have compassion. We've got to learn how to love each other. No matter the circumstance, no matter what they've done, no matter the lifestyle they've lived or the decisions they've made, that's still my brother. That's still my sister. And I'm still supposed to show the same love no matter the outcome. Well, you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did. That's my brother. You don't know what she said about me. I don't care what she said. That's my sister. You don't know the life that she's lived that nobody else knew about. I don't care. That's my sister. And I love her the same. But what if they're guilty? So what if they're guilty? As their brother, our love should not be determined on innocence or guilt. Our default reaction to any news, any gossip, or any accusation should always be love. What has the household of God become if it's no longer a place of mercy, forgiveness, and love? How can we claim to have what the world needs if we ourselves can't let go of the past? If we ourselves can't bless those who curse us, do good to them that hate us, and pray for those who despitefully use and persecute us? There are things that God wants to do in our community, and they'll never happen. It's not because of a lack of prayer. Some of you have been praying for things for years, and you say, maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. It has nothing to do with that. It's because we don't love our brother as ourself. Each of us have unanswered prayers that God's waiting for that moment for us to forgive and then immediately he'll give us what we have need of and you can believe and you can pray and fast and ask God for faith but none of that's going to help you if you don't forgive if you don't love 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 
John the Beloved said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. What an amazing love that is that I could be called a child of God. He had to look past a whole lot of stuff to call me his child. He had to forgive a whole lot of sin. He had to bring me out of a whole lot of darkness to be able to call me one of his. We're not even worthy to be called his children, yet because of his mercy, he loved us and saved us. Verse 14 through 15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. How can you know you're saved? How can you know you've come out of darkness into his marvelous light? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You know that word hate, the Greek word, it just means to love less. I guarantee you most of us could think of somebody we love less than somebody else. Listen, that's the same as murder in God's eyes. To love somebody less than you love another person is murder in God's eyes. To look at somebody that's fallen down in sin and reject them because of their mistake is murder in God's eyes. Why? Because you cut them off from being able to come back to God. There's so many people that want to come back to the Lord, but they can't because why? They have a brother that won't forgive them. They have a sister that won't forget about the thing they did. Matthew 12 and 25, the Bible says, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or every house divided against itself shall not stand. The house of God will cease to exist if we continue to cut each other down instead of lifting one another up. If we're ever going to be what God wants His church to be, we've got to stop the gossip. We've got to stop killing each other with our tongues. We've got to stop killing each other with our unforgiveness. We've got to put an end to the sowing of discord among brothers because the Bible says in Proverbs, God hates it. And in his eyes, it's no different than murder. What is so in discord among brethren? That's causing somebody to think differently of a brother. That's persuading somebody to think that a person is really not who they say they are. It causes strife. It causes division. It causes discord. And it's the same as murder. John 13 and 35, By this Jesus said, by what? All men shall know that you're my disciples by this. If you have love one to another. My righteousness is as filthy rags. My prayer time is useless. My modest dress means nothing. If I don't love you. If I can't forgive you. Jesus gave his apostles whenever he sent them out. He said go and cleanse the leper. Go and heal the lame, heal the sick, cast out devils. He said, if they've committed sins, forgive them. He gave his church the power to forgive sins. And there's not one sin that God won't easily forgive as soon as they repent. 
But the problem is, will the church forgive? Revelation says the Spirit and the bride say come. The Spirit is saying come. Come to the house of God. We want you back. Come and receive this living water. Come and receive this Holy Ghost. But the problem today is the bride is not saying come. The bride is saying you're not worthy of mercy because of what you've done. You're not worthy of this same forgiveness that I've been given. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not if you speak in tongues. Not if you've been born again of the water and spirit. If you have love one toward another. 1 John 2 and 9 says, He that saith he is in the light. If you say you're living for God and you hate your brother, the Bible says he's in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Literally, every, everything that would cause us to fall has to do with the household of God. Is there division among brothers? If there's not division among us, if there's love for each and every one of us, by each and every one of us, there's nothing that can cause us to stumble. That's what the Word of God says. Why? Because you got somebody holding you up. I can't fall if I've got somebody holding my hand. But if I've been cut off because I've made a few mistakes, I'll fall by the wayside. And I won't ever be able to get back the relationship with God that I had. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not where he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know what the prodigal's biggest problem was? It wasn't the fact that he had left the father's house. It wasn't the fact that he had wasted his inheritance on riotous living. It wasn't the fact that he had found himself in the darkest hour of his life. His biggest problem wasn't because he had found himself in a hog pen, eating the same food as the hogs ate. The prodigal's biggest problem was that his brother didn't think he deserved the same mercy he did. When everybody else rejoiced, everybody else threw a party, it was his brother who became jealous. When the father willingly forgave him and welcomed him back with open arms, it was his brother who couldn't believe he had the audacity to come back home to the father's house. It was his brother who looked at him with eyes of judgment and ridicule and resentment. When the father and the rest of the household looked past his mistakes and celebrated his return, it was his brother that brought up his past. Luke 15 and 10 Jesus said, Likewise I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. But the prodigal's biggest problem was that when the angels were rejoicing and the people of the Father's house were rejoicing, his brother looked at him with judgment. His biggest problem was not that his father wouldn't forgive him. It was that his brother wouldn't forgive him. And there's people that God has forgiven, but we haven't forgiven. And as long as we hold on to that, we'll never see the miracles we need. We'll never see the revival that we've been promised. 
will never see those answers to prayer that we so desperately need. A couple of weeks ago, me and Lydia were in Brookhaven. And we went to this restaurant, and there was a lady there. She walked up to us, and she looked like she was miles and miles away from God. She had just a look of hopelessness on her face. She was tattooed up. You could tell she had been on drugs really bad. And she came up to us, and when she saw that we looked apostolic, she asked us, she said, hey, where do y'all go to church? I said, we go to Powell's Grove and J.S. And she started crying. And she said, I was raised in an apostolic church. She said, but they don't want me to come back there now. She said, I've been out of church for four years. It looked like she had been out her whole life. I'm telling you, she was in a bad place. And she began to cry, and she said, they, that church told me that if I ever left this church, I could never be saved. If I ever went to any other Pentecostal church, I couldn't be saved. She said, you don't believe that, do you? She said, do you really think I can be saved? I said, Absolutely. I said, we'd love to have you. Listen, the prodigal's biggest problem is not that God can't forgive them. It's that their brother can't forgive them. Oh, God. How many people leave the Father's house because they don't have a brother to confide in who won't condemn them for their mistakes? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. We've got to be able to talk to each other. I've got to have a brother or a sister I can go to in my time of need and say, look, I'm struggling. I just want you to pray for me. Look, I just need somebody to talk to. I just need somebody to tell that I'm going through a dark trial right now. Because if we don't have that, we'll never stay focused in our walk with God. How many people are out there who are so desperately wanting to come back home, but they know if they did, they'd never be forgiven, not by God, not by the Father, but by the brother. I've heard people in this community tell me, I'd love to come back to church, but there's somebody there that has something against me. Don't let it be said. Don't let it be said of the people of God that we've been forgiven of so much, yet we hold people accountable to these little small things that they've done to us. We need to call, as soon as you leave church today, you need to call somebody. You need to tell them, look, I'm sorry. I know there's been bitterness between us. Forgive me. Forgive me. They know the Father will show compassion and gladly welcome them back but the real problem is with the brother. The prodigal's biggest problem is not that God won't receive him with open arms. It's that their brother won't show the same mercy and compassion. Their biggest issue is not their addictions. It's not their tattoos. It's not the fact they smoke cigarettes. Their biggest problem isn't their lifestyle of sin. It's not their wasted inheritance. God can take care of every bit of that in a split second. Their biggest problem is the fact that their brother knows where they've been and won't rejoice when they come home. We've got to get this right. We've got to turn this around. The older brother was mad because he didn't think the prodigal deserved mercy. 
He didn't deserve forgiveness. He didn't deserve a celebration. He didn't deserve compassion. He didn't deserve a seat at the Father's table. That was the prodigal's biggest problem. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How, if we've been forgiven, can we not extend that same forgiveness? Romans 12 and 9 says, Don't just pretend to love others. Don't walk up with a smile and say, Hey man, love you. You know there's something in your heart. Or you know they got something against you. You got to get it right. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. 1 Peter 4 and 7 says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, hear this, the most important thing you can do is to continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. If there's anything we've got to get right in the last days, we've got to learn to have the same love that God had for us towards those who may not deserve it. We've got to be willing to give others what we've been given. Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely give. We, we want to be like, well, yeah, I forgive you. And then we go a couple months and then it's like, all right, I guess I'll let it go now. What if God did that to us when we failed him? Just like the Lord forgives, right at the moment we say, God, I'm sorry. We should be willing to do the same for others. We should be able to look at somebody who's fallen into sin and hug them and tell them, hey, I love you and I'm praying for you. Please don't leave the Father's house. Please don't waste your inheritance. Please don't walk away from all this blessing. Matthew chapter 5 in closing, verse 23 Jesus said, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has ought against you, leave there your gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer that gift. God has gifted us, God has given us talents, He's given us abilities. But we can't offer that back to God and serving in His kingdom if we haven't first reconciled with our brother. Everything we do is in vain if we don't love each other. And I want you to walk to somebody and lay your hands on them. Man to man, woman to woman. Just let them know, hey, I really do love you. Let's walk across the aisle and tell somebody you love them and let's pray for each other for a few moments. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bind us together with cords of love. I pray, dear God, that you would unify us so that we can be all that you've called us to be. I pray you would pour your blessing out on all of my brothers and sisters today. God, take away the strife from our hearts. Take away the bickering and the complaining, God. Take away, Lord Jesus, the jealousy and the envy. 
I pray, Lord, that you would move upon each of us today. God, bring to remembrance those who have wronged us and let us go to them today and tell them I forgive you and make it right, oh God. We've got to get this right or else nothing is going to work. God, we're never going to see the outpouring of your Spirit like you want to give us until we get this thing right. Jesus, I forgive those that have hurt me. I forgive those that have wronged me. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would forgive the backslider, Lord, even though they have spent years away from your house, even though they have put our names through the mud, God, I pray you would bless them and bring them back to the Father's house. Oh, in the name of Jesus, why don't you just pray for a few more minutes for a brother or sister. Encourage somebody in the Lord and let them know you love them. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Oh, we give you praise, God. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord. Unify us and unite us to come together for one purpose, to see revival in the last days. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Oh, we lift you up and give you glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Maybe you just need to go to somebody today and say, Look, I've thought some things towards you I shouldn't have thought. I've had ideas in my mind about you that I shouldn't have had. I want you to forgive me. I've asked God to forgive me. I've asked God to forgive you.